All right. I'm going to give a, a scenario here. Uh, try to imagine for me, if you will, a seminary student named Titus, who is age 24. He has been in college for four years studying uh, the Bible. And then age 22, you roughly graduate from college, two years of seminary where he has had uh, some counseling classes, some Greek and Hebrew, some uh, theology classes. And for his uh, last couple of years, um, he has had the opportunity to travel um, studying abroad with a traveling missionary named Paul. So he has seen a variety of churches. He's seen towns that didn't have churches or they tried to help churches get started. He's uh, visited churches where Paul went on a missionary journey uh, and had some small churches now established. So he's seen um, small churches that are newer He's uh, been in churches or in towns that didn't have churches where uh, he helped for about two years. The last two years, he has traveled uh, with Paul and uh, the ups and downs of, of mission trips. If you've been on a short term mission trip, you kind of understand what this would be. But imagine a mission trip that didn't last two weeks, but two years. Oh. Okay, so you know uh, the benefits and the challenges of a mission trip of two weeks where you get to know everybody on a, in a small group quite well just in two weeks. Imagine the relationship that has been built with Paul and Titus over two years. We don't know how long Titus was with Paul, but imagine it was about two years. You imagine the the closeness that has developed with these two men. One obviously much older, Titus. Let's say he's in his twenties as a seminary student. Has got some um, classroom teaching. Now the last two years has cemented in Titus's mind God's call in his life to give his life to planting or pastoring churches. And personally, Paul has discipled Titus with his own, um, through uh, Titus's selfishness that Paul has observed at meals, on traveling, walking from town to town, um, with the sleeping situation, with all that goes on at mission trips as you are uh, close living quarters with people. For two years straight, Paul has personally discipled Titus and had had long conversations about Titus's struggles. Um, personally, uh, private sins have been addressed. And uh, we know from Corinthians that Paul mentions no one is like-minded that I can send to you at the end of 2 Corinthians as Titus is. And Titus is mentioned by name multiple mm -hmm. times. So here is a, a young man who has been trained personally by Paul. He has got classroom education. He has got the connections of Old Testament prophecies of, 
of the Messiah that Paul was known to, to preach. He knows how Paul uh, preaches, how he teaches. He has been personally challenged over and over and over again with his own selfishness and pride and is taking major strides to eliminate that in his life. And so now he is left, which we'll see in Titus 1.5. He is left by Paul on an island of Crete. I asked the elders this morning, when did Paul go to the island of Crete? You look at his missionary journeys in Acts, you look at the maps that you'll have in the back of your Bible, you won't find he stops at Crete at all. Like So when <laughs> I don't know when Paul goes here. Um, Crete is mentioned as Acts 27 that they sail by Crete on their way to Rome, but Crete isn't mentioned. And so we're assuming at, at one point or another that they sailed by it. Uh, they, it wasn't mentioned in the book of Acts in some missionary journey of which Titus was probably part of that journey. And the potential, like we see uh, when Paul leaves Timothy in Ephesus, the potential in Ephesus is so great that he leaves Timothy there. And then he writes him a couple books, first and second Timothy. So there, the potential is on this island of Crete and he has such potential that he leaves Titus there. And in leaving Titus there, he says, okay, you've been trained for ministry. You're ready to pastor. He's actually going to oversee several churches on this island. And then he writes him this book to encourage him, to help him uh, to, know, uh, to know what to do. So if you were a young pastor left on an island, and your mentor said, I'll write you a letter. You're like, okay, I can't wait for that letter to get here. <laughs> the letter arrives. And now you're like, oh, this letter. Let's see what Paul says to me uh, to encourage me on what I need to do. Okay. He's got the classroom knowledge. He's got the mission trip practical experience. There's a lot of personal interaction with Paul and Titus and training and he's ready to ready to pastor and the book is written to him so we're going to look through this book and i've titled or um subtitle of the book of titus is the need for a healthy church a healthy church is what the island of healthy churches what the island of crete most needed and so we're going to learn this summer the rest of the summer and you're going to imagine that we're not going to just going to think historically like oh that was good for paul and titus what can we learn about our culture and our church if paul wrote to us and said if paul wrote to me or pastor ty and said okay you guys are in a great potential area here um but what is most needed in your area is a healthy church. And so we're going to evaluate our church by based on what we learned from this book of Titus. So today we're just going to look at four verses. Verses one to four. And I'm going to try to do it a little differently this summer where we're going to ask questions. I'm going to 
teach you how to ask questions of your own Bible, and the Bible's going to give us the answer. Okay, so the answer's in the text, but we're not going to get to the answer first. We're going to get to the questions first, and then the questions are going to be answered uh, by the text. And at the end, we're going to come up with an outline or what you think is the theme of these four verses. Okay, so we're going for one word theme. Uh, for these uh, verses, I hopefully hopefully it'll be clear um, to you, and this will be a, a pattern that we'll try to um, develop here. We're not going to look at a lot of verses, four, five, maybe seven verses at the most, as we study through Titus this summer. We'll get into probably be done in uh, the month of September. All right, so verse um, one. What is Paul communicating to Titus in the very first verse about Paul's self-identity? Okay, so Paul's writing to Titus, as he does often in a lot of his letters, and he identifies himself. And here is Titus, who knows Paul really well. Okay, he knows what Paul's like. He knows he's been on a missionary journey with him. So why does Paul start this way? I think it's an insightful. He's trying to teach Titus something. Okay, so what it about, and identity is a huge buzzword today. Like, how do you identify? I identify with this, and these are my pronouns, and everything that we hear in identity. And uh, as, a, as a youth pastor, I, I mention to teenagers a lot, you, you think your clothes are your identity, or what you drive is your identity, or who you hang out with is your identity and you've got to be with the cool kids and wearing the cool clothes and driving the cool car and using cool language because this is your identity well let's see what paul teaches this young pastor so what words does paul use to self-identify here okay bond servant you remember our study slave yeah you probably have a, a sub uh, a, a little number one next to servant or bond servant that says doulos or slave. Okay. He's a slave of whom? God. He's a slave of God. Okay. So whatever God says goes and God provides everything for his slaves. And then how else does he identify himself? Apostle of whom? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Okay, an apostle, someone who has seen Christ, someone who is on a mission for Christ. Okay, so he identifies as a slave and of God and an apostle. This is teaching Titus something. Okay, who is Paul's target audience? as he writes, obviously, this book to Titus, he's writing for the sake of somebody. God's elect. And hone it in a little bit more. What else does the passage say? The Something of God's elect. Faith. Ah, faith. Okay. So he's writing to believers. All right. And he's writing to strengthen the believers. How? 
strengthen their faith and something else. Knowledge. Knowledge of the truth. Okay, so faith is all is always attached to knowledge. Okay. You can have faith. I can believe, and our, our culture says if you can believe, you can make it happen. Right. Okay, so jump off of a building and believe you can fly. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's not based on reality. Okay, it's not based on truth. Okay, and there are so many people that believe that they can earn their way to heaven, as we're seeing in Romans. And so it's like jumping off of a building without wings and believing you can fly. That's that's a fantasy. And the questions that we ask people to go from fantasy to reality is, do you really think that the amount of weight that your, <laughs> your body weighs is going to be overcome with this? <laughs> okay. The answer, no. Okay, now if you had a wingsuit on or a parachute, different science would help you to inform you that truth would then be yes maybe you would survive if you jumped off of a hundred foot a hundred foot building right but just flapping your arms doesn't matter how fast you can flap them <laughs> that's not going to overcome gravity right so paul's writing for the sake of the faith of god's elect faith that is tied to knowledge of truth. And he adds one more phrase. What is Paul's strategy? All right, so how do we know if someone chosen by God, how do we know they're trusting God and they're trusting the knowledge of the truth? Here's how we know. It accords with, it matches with godliness. Godliness is a theme that we'll see again in chapter two. Okay, so the connection Paul is getting here, I'm writing to you, Titus. This is how you identify yourself, Titus, as a slave of God and as an apostle or one sent. Uh, Titus isn't called an apostle, but he is going to represent uh, Jesus Christ, and he has he is armed with reaching God's elect. We don't know who God chooses, but everyone who is a believer has been chosen by God. We know that. So he, Paul leaves him on the island of Crete to find God's elect and to give them knowledge of the truth. And when they embrace the knowledge of the truth, we'd say, okay, they're God's elect. But how do we know if someone embraces the knowledge of the truth? It's going to match up with godliness. James would have something to say about this, right? The faith without works is dead. So how do we know if someone truly is a believer? They have works. What does their works look like? Godliness. What is godliness? Looking like God. Looking like Christ. This is why we're saved, right? To be conformed into the image of Christ, and Christ is the perfect representation of God, and God's changing us to be un from go from ungodly to godly. All right, verse number two. What does godly living then look like in light of the knowledge 
of the truth. How do godly people think? In verse 2. First phrase. Why do you think he says knowledge of the truth matches godly living and godly living looks like hope of eternal life? What's the connection? Okay. What does Paul connect to our hope of eternal life in the rest of the verse? You're, you're getting at it. The verse doesn't end with hope of eternal life. Mm -hmm. What gives the godly person hope of eternal life? According to verse 2. Right? It was promised. Did Christ promise eternal life when he was here? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Right? <clears throat> And the connection of his promise is only, promises are only good as the person who is promising. If your friend says, open your mouth and close your eyes, and you're in junior high, and they have behind their back a dandelion with all the seeds on it, and you, they say, open your mouth, close your eyes, I promise I won't do anything to hurt you. <laughs> yeah. I will give you a surprise that you will like and you do it and you open your mouth, close your eyes and they put the dandelion with all the seeds inside your mouth and rub it around and you get all the dandelion seeds inside your mouth and you're like, well, it didn't hurt. It was just uncomfortable, right? So I kept my promise. So the promise is only good as the person who makes the promise. If someone has an evil intent, then we shouldn't trust their promises. Or if someone, if I promise you a certain amount of money and you realize a billion dollars, you're like, I don't think Fry's got a billion dollars. I'm not good for it. Okay, you'd be right. I, I can promise you something, but it's only based on my resources. And I can't promise you eternal life because I am not in the position of God. However, what we're seeing here is Paul's writing to Titus to encourage him to, uh, as he writes to the elect, to increase their faith in the knowledge of the truth, which will match a life of godliness and godly people live in a hope of eternal life in a hope that's attached to a God who never lies. You'll see lying again in this book in chapter one. But here is trusting in a God who never lies, who promises. When was his promise given? Before time began. Before time began. All right. I have never made a promise before time began. <laughs> There's no one alive right now that can say, yeah, before time began, I want my kids to have a better life or I'm going to give them an inheritance. Like you can't promise something <laughs> unless you existed before time began. So what is Paul trying to get at here? Here is, what do we learn about God in verse two? He, he's an eternal God. What else do we learn about God from verse two? He is a God who... Never lies. 
He is a God who had no beginning. He existed before time began. Here is a God who gives hope. Here is a God who gives eternal life. Here is a God who wants his elect to have faith in him. So if you are in Titus's position, which we'll find out more about his position uh, in a couple weeks at the end of chapter one, you're going to have to hold on to the truth of these first four verses because that's going to really help you when times are hard. And when you get in times that are hard as a pastor or as someone who's ministering to hard people, you've got to go back to the beginning sometimes of the letter and say, okay, Titus, Titus is frustrated with who he's trying to deal with. And we'll see. I don't want to give it away. But who he's dealing with is pretty, pretty difficult. And who you and I have probably tried to minister to sometimes is very difficult. So we got to go back to the beginning of this letter and say, okay, what am I doing? <laughs> I'm giving people the knowledge of the truth. How do I know who God's elect are? Well, I don't know who God's elect, except those who have faith they've trusted in the knowledge of the truth they've trusted in god's word and their life is looking more and more godly how can i tell well they didn't have any hope and now their hope is tied to an eternal god who never lies and they're starting to live like that god they're starting to be a godly person what else do we learn about god in verse Three, there's two roles here of the of what Paul says his 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 job is and what God's job is. What is God's role, God's job that uh, Paul highlights in verse three? He's got two things primarily um, that is God's job when it comes to ministry. Okay, he entrusted uh, the word to Paul. That's the end of uh, verse three. What's the, how would we summarize the beginning of verse three in God's, what is God's role? Yeah. And God made it known at the proper time. So for some of us, God made his word known to us as children. And others of us here, God made his known word known to you when you were in your 20s or 30s or 40s or whatever time it was you got saved. That's when God, at the proper time, made his word known to you. He chose, goes back to election there in verse 1, he chose when you would trust him. And choose that. So this takes the pressure off of Titus that he's got to go get everybody on the island of Crete saved because everybody's got to be saved. Well, we know everyone's not going to be saved. And the timing of everyone's salvation is not Titus's role. It wasn't Paul's role either. It's God's role. Okay. He's the eternal God. <laughs> Before time began, he chose people and he promised that those uh, who trusted in the knowledge of truth would be godly and he would give them the hope of eternal life. And so that's God's role. What is Paul's role and the minister's role, who Paul's writing to the minister Titus here? 
What is Titus's role in verse three? What do you think he's preaching? Mm -hmm. See the word here? As the word, going back to probably the knowledge of the truth, faith in God, hope of eternal life, the truth that we've already seen in uh, verses 1 and 2, these are themes of, of what Paul is preaching. And how does Titus, how has he observed Paul? Do you think he has observed Paul preaching? observe Paul preaching oh yeah <laughs> he's observed him preaching in the marketplace and the synagogues and the newly established churches Titus is no stranger if he's been on a mission trip with Paul trained by Paul and do you think Paul has given Titus the chance to preach if he leaves him on this island absolutely like this isn't going to be his first time preaching it's like Okay, Titus, you've never had the chance to preach. I'm just going to leave you on this island, establish churches, and go at it. I don't think so. I bet you Paul gave Titus a lot of opportunities to preach and teach, sat him down after and said, okay, what you did there, you could have probably done it better. How, how could we have done it better? And, and trained him in, in preaching. So what he's doing here in verse 3 is just reminding him of what he's already been taught and practiced on missionary journeys. So he writes for the sake of God's elect, but he's writing to verse four. Who's he writing to? Pretty simple here, to Titus. What does he call Titus? How is he related to Titus? He's his child, but not by birth. Common faith. All right. And then the ordinary, I would say ordinary, it's extraordinary greeting um, that Paul often has at the beginning of his letters is grace and peace from God the Father, Christ mm -hmm. Jesus, our Savior. He doesn't say grace and peace from me and Luke and Silas, whoever else he's writing with. Grace and peace only come from one place. God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. And when things get really hard, we're going to see grace again in this book. That when things get really hard in ministry and we're out of out of gas, what we run on in ministry is God's grace and peace. And when we're out of gas, we got to get refueled. We get refueled from God the Father and Christ Jesus, <clears throat> our Savior. All right, so what do you think is the theme? If we were to give one word, and let me let me explain where we're going in the whole book of Titus is, imagine if you're looking at to buy a house that needs a lot of work, right? You would say looking at a house that needs a lot of work, it's an unhealthy structure. And... Uh, Marcus is here today. When I was looking to buy a house, I looked at a house in Pelham that was built in 1762. <laughs> and nearly every floor in that house was like this. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it was sloped. And so what we where did we go first in looking at 
the house to see if it was worth buying. The foundation. Yeah, great. All right. So how this book, I think, is laid out. We're not we're not given um, building terms like we are in First Corinthians three, where Paul is a master builder and writes as a structure. But this book seems to be laid out in a foundation. What do you think is the second thing we looked at after the foundation? And it was solid. It had didn't have cracks in it. It wasn't obviously leaking. What's it? The roof. The roof. Okay. Anything else besides the roof? Okay. What about the walls? All right. So the structure or the, the structure, right? So if there were major cracks in the walls, even though the foundation looked good, major holes in the roof, uh, yeah. leaks in the roof, um, the plumbing and the electrical, obviously uh, structural, often hidden in the walls or in the basement or something that you have to look closely and carefully get it inspected right because some things aren't necessarily obvious. So if, if a house is a major, major fixer upper, you're going to likely have to address the foundation, the structure or the framing of it, and uh, not just paint and carpet, okay? The, the nice fixer uppers are just paint and carpet. Like, okay, everything, the bones are good. Everything is good, structurally sound. Don't need to move walls. Don't need to sure up the foundation. Just change the paint, change the carpet, might have a smell in it. That's no big, not as big a deal as you got major problems with it. But the the island of Crete is not a just paint and carpet kind of island. It is an island that is full. Everyone there is a gross sinner. Okay, remember in Romans 1? Most of, it sounds like, most of the island of Crete are Romans 1 people. And Paul leaves Titus here to minister to mainly Romans 1 people. And every facet of this unhealthy structure of society is going to have to be addressed. So the first place that we're going to start in this book is the foundation and when it comes to a unhealthy church it may be unhealthy because verses one through four aren't true of it and i was told as a youth pastor if you're trying to entertain goats as a pastor you're gonna look like a fool so you can only a youth group is a small subset of the of the church. But if you have a whole church full of unsaved people uh -huh. and who want to be entertained, you're going to have an unhealthy church. No. Oh, you may have emotion. You may have energy. You may have thousands and millions of subscribers on YouTube. But you don't have a healthy church. Because verses 1 through 4 examine what is part of the foundation so look back at romans or uh, titus one one to four and if we were to summarize 
this with one word, a healthy church and the foundation spiritually of that church is what? Godliness. Godliness. Okay. Jesus Christ, I heard. Okay, slave. I put truth. I put all those together, maybe, and in the word salvation. You have salvation. Let's go back and see if we can't find words that are synonyms of salvation in almost every verse. All right, do we see any, any words that are synonyms of salvation in verse 1? Elect. You see faith, you see truth, and you see godliness. Okay? All those uh, subsets, I think, of this idea of salvation. How about verse 2? When you talk about salvation, what has to come up in a conversation is eternal life. Right? How about verse 3? Savior. Our Savior. Savior and salvation are the same, same word. All right. So the command of God, our Savior. And then verse four. I saw this. Grace and peace from God. Grace and peace from God. You see common faith. And you see the word Savior again in verse four. So the need of the foundation is salvation. So what does the island of Crete need? They need to be saved. What does our bride month culture need? They need to be saved. As we, and as we pray, uh, we always are reminded physical needs are, are evident and um, often at the forefront of our mind, but we always have to remember the greatest need of everyone on the planet is salvation. So then the greatest need of an unhealthy church, unhealthy culture is salvation. And a healthy church is going to magnify the facets that Paul magnifies here in verses one to four of salvation. Don't take salvation for granted. When we meet someone that comes to our church for the first time, and if we're a healthy church, we're going to evaluate their salvation. I want to be baptized. Okay, we're going to evaluate your salvation. We want to join your church. Okay, we're going to evaluate your salvation. This is why we evaluate salvation. And these words and this the structure here of the first uh, four verses focus on you can look at someone's life and say by their fruits we'll know them do they have fruits of godliness do we see any of the fruit of the spirit then are they hoping in eternal life in god alone christ as their savior all right now we have people to work with and we know god's the one that chooses god's the one that brings people to us and uh, we're excited about what God's uh, going to teach us and what God is doing 
uh, to help our church become healthier.